Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everybody, welcome to Talking in Circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you. We've got a great show coming up. We're discussing... All the latest NASCAR news, a lot of it revolves around Casey Kane. Kane will have a new crew chief for the remaining remaining nine races of the 2017 season, and he will have a new ride in 2018. We knew that already, but now we know what ride it's going to be. Also, Chase Elliott, interesting news out of him this week, a penalty for what is now called tape gate. We'll discuss that in your phone calls, 917-889-8280 here on Talking in Circles. But first, John, the news of the week, Casey Kane going to Levine Family Racing, with Bob Levine is the team owner there. Uh, Michael McDowell's been there the last four years. They've run the last two virtually full-time. Um, they've had a really good year this year. They've, they've finished in the top 20 in eight of the last 12 races. McDowell's done a good job there. But Casey Kane's a guy who's got a big, good resume, has won a lot of races in this sport, and he will bring Levine Family Racing to another level. So that's why they made this move. But what are your thoughts? I mean – this isn't a team that will light the world on fire. We've seen Casey Kane in the last couple of years really struggle with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, we're going back to a team that is sort of smaller and, and does things their own way, a solo cooperation. Um, do you think that would be beneficial to Kane? And uh, how do you think they're going to run next year? Well, there's a couple things you could look at it. Um, there's a chance that Casey Kane is a better driver than Michael McDowell and will pick up the performance just because the difference between the two drivers. I mean, Michael McDowell's done really well this year with the equipment that they've had. I mean, Levine family racing has the partnership with uh, Richard Childress racing. So they get their engines and chassis from Childress. I think a lot of the improvement on that team has come from Todd Parrott sitting on top of the pit box and Casey Kane has, I mean, he hasn't really run through a bunch of crew chiefs. I mean, he had uh, Tommy Baldwin to start whenever he was at the nine car. And then he went to Kenny Francis. And Kenny Francis was his crew chief forever. And then Keith Rodden the last couple years. And Keith Rodden was the car chief with Kenny Francis forever. So basically it was 1A, 1B. It was one same with the, basically the same person talking to him. And now they're switching out crew chiefs for the last nine races of the season to put Darian Grubb on the box. Casey Kane, there are two things involved. He needs a change of scenery because all the hype of him going to Hendrick Motorsports, he signed a year and a half, two years before he could even get in a car and has been a disappointment there. I mean, but the thing is, Hendrick Motorsports, he's always gotten the fourth best equipment. He wasn't going to get better stuff than Jeff Gordon. He wasn't going to get better stuff than Jimmy Johnson. And he definitely wasn't going to get better stuff to the for the meal ticket coming in of Dale Jr. So he always got the fourth best stuff. He's going to be a one-car operation over there at Levi Family Racing. Todd Parrott is a great crew chief. If those two can match, this could be a playoff possible car next year. The other part is Casey Kane hasn't done well for a long time. He's been out lunch almost all year this year. And Hen cars have performed better than Childers cars. So this could be the beginning of the end. 
And I think the reason this deal came to fruition, Bob Levine said, hey, you want to come drive for me? My checks are good. And Casey Kane said, I don't have anything else. Because you heard talking last week about possibly doing some IndyCar, some Sprint car, and a NASCAR race here and there. Casey Kane's 37 and still wants to make some money. And the money is in NASCAR at the cup level. He's not going to get as much as he did anywhere else, but he's got Rick Hendrick paying the rest of the bill this year. He bought out the contract, so he's still getting his paycheck from Hendrick. And Levine will pay a portion of it. And we'll see what happens after this year. Could be the end. This could be the one year where Casey Kane um, has a shot to redeem himself and turn into like a Kurt Busch situation whenever Kurt Busch was at Furniture build that team and get them into the playoffs or it could be like Bobby Labonte when he was with the 47 car at the beginning of the end that's where I really think we got you know to look at for Casey Kane I mean is this the beginning of the end you know you talked about him being a Hendrick Motorsports people forget I mean this he went there in his prime at 32 years old he went to Hendrick Motorsports and people were saying listen this guy's going to win a ton of races he's going to win a championship the teams he was with prior, they were okay, but there was a lot of, of movement going around. You know, when he was at the uh, nine car with Everham, it was Gillette Everham, Everham Motorsports, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, and he still did pretty well there. Um, and I think a lot of people thought, okay, he just needs some stability. He needs a stable ride. Got to Hendrick Motorsports, finished fourth in the points in 2012, had a great year, two wins, 19 top 10 finishes, uh, his second year as well was it was another very good year, but since then the last four seasons have been a complete loss. Now he's in the chase because of the fact that he won a freak race at Indianapolis where Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Busch took took each other out, and the race ended under a suspicious red flag. But other than that, it's been a very very disappointing year. Last year was an extremely disappointing year for Casey Kane. He had 13 top 10 finishes. This year he's got four top 10 finishes at Hendrick Motorsports in 27 races this year. That's not going to get it done. And you could say, well, it might be Keith Rodden. Keith Rodden was a very good crew chief with Kate, with Jimmy McMurray when, and McMurray was out running Casey Kane for a while there before Rodden even got to Casey Kane and Hendrick Motorsports said, Oh, maybe that's the reason why Casey ran good is because Rodden, who was his car chief or lead engineer, I believe, was there. And when he went to Jamie McMurray's team, they started running good. So they started looking at going, well, maybe it was Keith Rodden. So they went out and paid a lot of money for Keith Rodden. And it just got worse. This, to me, is a statement for Casey Kane, because I don't think these, these drivers just forget how to drive a race car. I think the magic lies in between a crew chief and a driver, and something was missing at Hendrick Motorsports and Casey Kane. If he can outperform, outperform this car, overachieve in this race car, this could save Casey Kane's career. But if we see Casey Kane run where Michael McDowell's run this year, Michael McDowell, like I said, has eight top 20 finishes in the last 12 races. They got 13 top 20s in 27 races this year. About half the races are going to probably finish in the top 20 this year. If Casey Kane does that next year, then you're going to look at it and say, well, he's in an equal playing field with Michael McDowell. Now, I don't know if Todd Parrott's going to stay here. Todd Parrott's a guy who – uh, is under contract at Richard Childress Racing. He works for Richard Childress Racing. This team has an alliance with Richard Childress Racing. 
They're staying within the alliance at Richard Childress Racing, but Casey Kane might want things his own way. He might dictate it since he's a big name. So we'll see. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's been a it's been a good year for that 95 car. And Michael McDowell need to make a next step for Casey Kane, in my opinion, if Casey wants if this is going to be a beneficial deal for Casey Kane. I really think Todd Parrott is going to stay. I think this is one of those ones where Casey can't go in there demanding stuff because it's sort of like when Kurt Busch went to James Finch. Kurt Busch was basically run out 22 car because he was a loud mouth and pissed off the wrong people. And Roger Penske finally had enough. So Kurt Busch went to the 51 to revive his career driving for James Finch. Then he went from there to furniture row, kept reviving his career. Then he got to Stuart Haas racing. Casey Kane, if this was something that Casey Kane was a marketable driver, because you look, all of his sponsors are disappearing this year. Farmers Insurance is going away. Great Clips is going away. Those are two sponsors who were latched onto Casey Kane for a long time, and they're going away at the end of this season. Casey Kane, if he had some sort of sponsorship coming with him, Casey Kane would be driving a 10 car not going to Levine family racing. So Casey Kane is basically going with his hat in his hand saying, whatever you guys want to do for me, that's what we're going to end up doing. Right. And I think it was a matter of, does he still want to do this? Now, Bob Levine reached out to interesting. He, he confirmed this with Claire B. Lang on Sunday that he reached out to Kurt Busch as well. And Kurt Busch said, listen, Thanks, but no thanks. You're not really where I need to be. I'm a little bit older in my career than Casey Kane. Um, I'm not really interested in driving for a team that's not going to make the playoffs. And, you know, Bob Levine said, that's fine. You know, we're not kind of where we need to be. And you can understand that, but I had to ask Kurt Busch. Makes you wonder what's going on with Matt Kenseth. But anyway, um, I thought that was interesting that, that Casey took this ride then, if that was the case. You know, I think he was definitely uh, – Weighing his options, whether or not he was going to run a partial schedule for some team, maybe GMS Racing he was going to run part-time for uh, on the plate tracks or whatnot with Hendrick Motorsports stuff and say, hey, I can win there, I'll do that. Or I can uh, run full-time at Levine Family Racing. What's the best option for me? I think Bob Levine talked him into it. I think he, he realized he needed to run here full-time, and this is going to be a placeholder maybe. If a ride comes up next season where, hey uh, – you know, somebody struggles or somebody's out of a ride, Casey Kane can hop right in if he runs very good. But from the Levine family racing aspect of this whole thing, John, I think it's interesting because you had a guy in an organization that has really built themselves up. You know, they ran part-time, like I said. You know, this team started with a five or six race cup schedule with David Starr back in like 2012, 2013. Um, then they hired Scott Speed. Then they got Michael McDowell. They've worked their way up very nicely with Michael McDowell. They've done a very nice job. This year has been a very good year for them. Um, but do you blame Bob Levine for getting rid of Michael McDowell here? I mean, listen, he was coming in Hawn. He knew, hey, listen, Michael's, you know, took on lumps with us. He deserves a chance. And I really do think he deserves this chance to run in, in better equipment. But at the end of the day, um, you know, a Casey Kane, a, a driver like Casey Kane, only comes once in a little while for an organization like Levine Family Racing. And you have to capitalize on that opportunity. In order to get better, you have to get better people. 
And Casey King's won in this sport. He's won in this sport a lot. He's run with big-time teams. He can bring the, the information. He can bring his experience. He can bring his talent to this organization. Something Michael McDowell doesn't have the experience running with a big team, doesn't have the, uh, the resume, doesn't have the name that, will, could, that could easily tice a sponsorship to bring more money into that organization. So I think from the Levine family racing aspect, it's a no-brainer. But I think a lot of people look at this as, well, this is a team that really kind of owes it to Michael McDowell because he's stuck with them this whole time. So it was, you're kind of in a rock and a hard place here if you're Bob Levine, but ultimately I think he had to make this move. I agree. He had to make the move. And if you think about the he owed it to Michael McDowell, he didn't. Michael McDowell drove for Levine Family Racing because they were the one team that, that would take him. Le, uh, Michael McDowell has run well when he ran for Joe Gibbs in the Xfinity Series and everything. Every now and then he'd pop into the Xfinity Series and win a race. Um, he's a really He's a decent road course racer. He's made himself better on the ovals. I think with Todd Parrott mentoring him, he got much, much better as a race car driver. But if you remember Michael McDowell's claim to fame before this season was his qualifying wreck at Texas where he rolled over 15 times and walked away from it. That was his claim to fame in NASCAR up until this year. I mean, if you talk Michael McDowell, you saw that highlight come out where he rolled and rolled and rolled the car at Texas. Um, he's done well this year with the equipment that they have. And if you think about it, he's probably running better than Menard. He's running better than both Almondinger and Chris Busher. He's running better than Ty Dillon and Richard Childress equipment. So he's done well with what he's had. I think Todd Parrott has been a great thing for him on the pit box. And I think Todd Parrott and Casey Kane together could be something special. But there's a chance that Casey could be pretty much done. I mean, one of the things he talked about was he's looking forward to being able to drive more sprint car races next year because Rick Hendrick wouldn't let him drive very much. And if he's like Tony was, the more racing he did other than Cup, the better he performed whenever he was in a cup car because the car control you need to race a sprint car really does pay dividends to the cup car. You've got all that horsepower and you're manhandling the car and you're using throttle control to keep the car going. And whenever it was all the horsepower, it was throttle control and everything. But now that they've taken some of the horsepower away, it's not as much that way anymore. And you've seen the guys who, have thrived on horsepower, struggled now. Casey Kane was a horsepower guy. Stewart was a horsepower guy. And they've struggled since they put the tapered spacer on the cup car to bring down the horsepower. They've struggled since they went high down force, low down force. It just hasn't been the right setting. But I think being the only operation and everybody focused on Casey he may thrive in it because, I mean, at Hendrick, he's the fourth guy. So here's a chance. It'll make him feel better that he knows everybody's there for him instead of this big shop where there's a few of them that are there for him on Sunday, but he knows he's not getting the same stuff that Johnson and Junior and Chase Elliott are getting. That's a fair point. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you got to take a step down to sort of find yourself as a driver. And listen, again, I don't think Casey Kane is a bad race car driver. I don't think he's forgotten how to drive a race car. Something wasn't working. 
there. And I've said it all year, just something wasn't working at Hendrick Motorsports. Um, for whatever reason it was, you know, I've refused to believe that, you know, uh, Rick Hendrick says, well, we're going to give this crappy stuff to Casey King because we don't want him to win. You know, that five team still had some sponsors on that car that were bringing in a lot of money with Farmers Insurance and Great Clips. He wanted him to win, but there just wasn't something wasn't there for Casey Kane. And we'll see in these next nine races coming up um, what if Keith Rodden and Casey Kane, you know, if their communication was 100 percent with each other because she's getting he's getting Darian Grubb, which is going to be an interesting change. Nine one nine. Now one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here if you want to join a conversation on talking in circles. But before we dive into Darian Grubb move, which is a very interesting one, there's a lot to talk about there. I want to talk about Michael McDowell. You know, we we discussed him about a little bit. He's had a very good year this year. You know, he deserves to keep this ride. And I know it, he, you know, he he didn't do anything to lose this ride. It wasn't like he performed poorly. He did very well this year. But what do you think his options are? You know, Bob Levine discussed trying to have a second organization operation for that Levine family racing team. I don't think that's going to happen. It sounds like the uh, plans of that fell through very quickly. Um, what do you think his options are? You know, there's some rumors even he might be going to front row motorsports. Uh, is there anything much out there for Michael McDowell other than what we're hearing? Um, front row motorsports is probably a good option for him. But I mean, if you look at front row motorsports, they've attached themselves to Landon Castle and they've had him going in the car for a couple years David Reagan has always performed decently in front row motorsports equipment. Uh, he doesn't destroy cars very often. So he's pretty good on the keeping the cars going And front row motorsports doesn't have the ability to build 15 new cars a season, like uh, the Hendricks or the Stuart Haas's or the Penske's do unless front row motorsports, third charter comes back to him. I don't see Michael McDowell going into a front row motorsports car. I see, the possibility of Michael McDowell doing a partial schedule in the Xfinity series because of the way it's going to be next year where uh, five-year cup drivers cannot be in the Xfinity series playoffs and Joe Gibbs still running three cars over there. He could end up driving the uh, 18 car for the races that Kyle Busch doesn't want to because Kyle Busch can only run seven races next year. So it might be one of those things. He may go to a truck and, uh, win a championship there. I mean, Michael McDowell has turned himself into a nice driver. The problem for Michael McDowell is it's so late in the game that the seats are pretty well filled. There's only a couple out there, the 10 and the 41 at Stuart Haas racing. And Tony basically said all day yesterday on, uh, whenever he did the car wash of NBC sports is we expect Kurt Busch to be in the 41 next year. We're just waiting to see what the sponsorship is because he says we can't just – these things don't run for free. We have to have some sort of sponsorship. So they're waiting to see what Monster Energy does on that 41 car. And it'll either be Kurt Busch back at a similar salary to what he had this year or Kurt Busch back in a much um, more team-friendly contract. So yeah, there's your 41, I, and the 10 is pretty much everybody's conceding it's all Marola, but Tony Stewart has said uh, all day yesterday he does not have somebody locked in for the 10. Nobody has signed a contract. So maybe he's still going to reach out to Matt Kenseth. Maybe he still sees somebody at the Xfinity series that might be worth putting in there. Maybe there's some magic contract where somebody's coming with a ton of money 
that's going to fill into that 10 car. I one of the things with Michael McDowell and Bob Levine and Levi, I mean Bob Levine and Levine Family Racing, they're a Christian-oriented organization. Thrivent Financial is a Christian financial group. K Love Racing, I mean K Love Radio is a Christian radio station. Their sponsors have been Christian-oriented, and I think a lot of the sponsors were really happy with the way Michael McDowell performs on and off the track, and we'll have to see if Casey Kane fulfills what those sponsors have gotten out of Michael McDowell the last two years. No, I agree. I think uh, that's a huge ordeal, but again, performance is, is one thing. And, and to me, I, I think you're a little off of McDowell. I think he's going to have a ride next year. I think he's going to go to front row motorsports. I think he's going to drive the 34 car next year. Um, you know, Landon, Landon Castle's a, a nice driver. He's done a nice job in his career, but he's really had a tough year this year. You know, a lot of it's been bad luck caught up in somebody else's mess or uh, a blown tire or a freak incident. Um, that really wasn't his fault, but he's had a tough year. And front motorsports is one of those teams that seems to change their drivers a lot. And McDowell's really turned some heads this year by how good he's run in Richard Childress racing stuff. I mean, he's proven if he's got the good enough car underneath him, he could finish in the top 20. He regularly, he's proven that this year. Um, and that's a lot more than a lot of drivers can say. You know, and, and Landon Castle hasn't, hasn't had an opportunity to run in the top 20 every week, but he hasn't done that in his career. David Reagan, it's been a while since he's done that. Um, so at the end of the day, I think Michael McDowell's proven that he can run if he's got the right stuff. So maybe Front Motorsports looks at it as an upgrade. They do have three charters. They're leasing one out this year to the 72 team. Will they go to three cars? I'm not so sure about that. But – as far as McDowell's future is concerned, he felt very, he sounded very confident last night. He was on Sirius XM radio with uh, Brad Gilley and Larry McReynolds last night. He sounded very confident. He had something for next year. Uh, I think he's been an absolute professional with how he's handled this because this can't be an easy situation. Like I said, he didn't deserve to lose this ride. An opportunity came up. That is a fluke opportunity um, with a, with a premier name, being out there on a free agent market and not going with a premier ride and Levine family racing took it and jumped on it. Um, you know, but McDowell's never said a bad word about the organization. He said nothing but, but good things. And I think that's a, a step in the right direction for a guy who, um, you know, never burned any bridges. That's the way I look at it because maybe King's done after a year and you can move back into that 95 car and the progression continues. Um, so I think McDowell's in a, in a pretty decent spot here. 917-889-8280, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you, Talking Circles. We're discussing all the things from this week's news, including Casey Kane, another Casey Kane news, where he's got a new crew chief for the last nine races of this season, John. Keith Rodden, who's been there the last couple of years, crew chief, the number five car for the first 27 races of the 2017 season. As I mentioned, Casey Kane had three top five finishes and four top ten finishes. It's been a really lost year for Kane. Um He's got a new crew chief, Darian Grubb, who has been in the sport a long time. He's got 19 wins in the cup, 23 wins, excuse me, in the cup series. Last he, he was crew chief for Carl Edwards in that 19 car for Joe Gibbs Racing. He's crew chief for Denny Hamlin. He's, he's worked with Tony Stewart. He's worked with uh, Casey Mears and Jimmy Johnson. If you remember when he was the interim crew chief, he won a Daytona 506 with Jimmy Johnson. Um, so Grubb's been around the block. He's a veteran. He's a good crew chief. He's been working at Hendrick Motorsports, inside Hendrick Motorsports for the last two years. What do you make of this? This is kind of late in the game, the last fourth of the season here, John, to make a move here. Um, 
Casey's leaving at the end of the year. Kind of a curious move here, to, if you ask me. Well, I think I, t- I said early in the season, if there was going to be a crew chief change at Hendrick Motorsports, Darian Crubb was probably going to be the one to get the call. But I expected it much earlier than this. Whenever they were struggling in May and June, I expected Darian Grubb to get the call then, not with one race into the playoffs, and you're a playoff team. Um, I think it might be one of those ones where Rick Hendricks trying to determine whether or not he's the guy that he wants to mentor William Byron whenever they get to the Cup Series next year. I mean, in reality, I think Rick Hendrick knows that if they're going to win a championship this year at Hendrick Motorsports, it's going to be the 48, not the 5. It's good, or the 24, not the five. I think some of this was building toward the future, but also giving a chance to pay some dividends this year because Darian Grubb has won races with some drivers. The only problem I've seen, and you and I talked about it before the show started, is what is wrong with Darian Grubb? I mean, he took um, Casey Mears to a win in the Coke 600. He won a bunch of races in a champ, and even though they, I mean, they struggled in the regular season, they found the magic, got five wins in the playoffs, and it still and won the championship. But it still wasn't enough to keep the crew chief gig, and it went to Steve Addington. And Tony Stewart's career sort of bottomed out from that point forward. He ran won five races with Denny Hamlin, and Denny wanted rid of him. He goes to Carl Edwards, won races with Carl Edwards. Carl Edwards wanted rid of him. So something is going on where Darian Grubb can get it done, but the drivers don't want to work with him. And I don't know what it is. I mean, Darian Grubb, if you listen to him in radio, back and forth with the drivers, he's probably the biggest calming influence I've ever heard. And you hear the driver screaming, hollering, swearing that the car is a dump truck and all that stuff. Roger that. We'll make some adjustments. And they do, and they always get better, but it's, it's just the ultimate calmness that Darian Grubb brings, but I don't understand why he can't keep a job. Yeah, it's weird. It's been, it certainly is different because, you know, he moved from Hendrick to a Hendrick team, basically with Tony Stewart. And then he moved to Joe Gibbs racing and it looked like he was going to be there for a long time. And he was only there for two or three years before they got rid of him. And he moved back to Hendrick motorsports. It's very interesting. You know, Part of me thinks maybe Keith Rodden, um, you know, is going to go and work with Casey Kane next year, and they want uh, Keith, you know, Keith Rodden. They, they don't want him in team meetings anymore, and they said, you know what, we don't want to give you all our information, all our stuff for 2018, so we're going to make a change here. But part of me also says maybe they're trying to find that Darian Grubb magic that he had with Tony Stewart in the final 10 races of the year where, hey, listen, you know what, let's try something. Um, I would. I don't know why you wouldn't make it a race earlier. I could understand if this was with 10 races to go and you said, okay, now we're making a change. You know, was Chicago in that bad for Casey King where you sat there and said, listen, and he didn't run great, no doubt about it, but he's been like that all year. Was Chicago in that bad where you sat there and said, I need to make a change right now because if we don't, we're out. Um, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Rick just said, I have seen enough. Um, but I would have made it before this this chase because now you got this distraction going into this race at New Hampshire and Dover. Uh, and it's almost unfair for Darian Grubb because you kind of put him in a lose-lose situation where this team's starting out behind the eight ball extremely in these playoffs. So now he's got to rebound this team in, in just two races and try and get them into the second round. 
So to me, it would have made more sense to do it a race earlier um, and or do it when if Casey gets eliminated, which it sounds very likely he's going to do. Uh, so I, I'm just I'm kind of puzzled by the timing of it. That's all. I think, you know, again, I put Keith Rodden in the same boat as, um, you know, Casey Kane. I think he's a good crew chief. I think he's a smart guy. Something wasn't working with Casey Kane. Uh, can Darren Grubb find that magic? Can he can he put that five car in a situation where he sit there and go, okay, now it's time we're going to go out and win races? Who knows? But i very, very curious. I'm very curious on the timing of this whole thing, John. One of the things that Darian Grubb has shown, he's very good at New Hampshire. They won with Tony Stewart in the year they won the championship. He's won New Hampshire with Denny Hamlin. He won New Hampshire with Carl Edwards. So Darian is good at New Hampshire. And this might be the Hendricks in a panic saying, if we're going to have a chance to get to the second round, we have to make a move these two races. And Darian's always had the same notebook that Chad Knaus has and could set up the car. I mean, matter of fact, he was a car chief or he worked with, he was the lead engineer for Chad Knaus for years and did great with the 48 car. Maybe they'll just put the same setup in the five and say, okay, good luck Casey when they get to Dover because Jimmy Johnson always wins Dover. So maybe this is the panic move where they say, oh crap, we got two races or we're going to be done. Let's see if maybe Darian can pull some magic out of the hat. I think it's a no expectations move for Darian Grubb right now because they probably already figured they're out. And if he does something great, amazing. I think it's one of those ones where they try to figure out if he's the guy they want mentoring William Byron next year. It's interesting because Casey Kane, other than his win at Indianapolis, hasn't had a top 10 finish since Talladega in April. I mean, and that was a fifth place round. So, it's been a, a very inconsistent year. You know, he got off to a decent start. Atlanta and Daytona, seventh and fourth. But other than that, since Las Vegas, he's had two top ten finishes. And, you know, that, at Hendrick Motorsports, that's not going to get it done. And so maybe it is a little bit of, well, let's see if Keith Rodden is the issue and put Darian Grubb in because we don't want to have another year next year when it's uh, William Byron in this car. We don't want to see this team go out and struggle. Um who knows? You know, maybe Keith Rodden, like I said, goes to Levine Family Racing for a year with Casey Kane, and Casey likes him that much. I think that's high of him, says we're going to put him there. And Hendrick said, mm, we don't want to give him our, our information anymore because that information that he's going to take is going to go back to Levine Family Racing, back to Richard Childress Racing, and it's going to make them stronger. So who knows, honestly, but – I, again, I'm very curious on the time. It was a 21st place finish last week at Chicago, three laps down. Uh, listen, yeah, that's bad, but he's been bad like that all year. So I'm, I just don't know what the difference between Richmond and Chicago is. Um, and I, again, I just would have made it before the chase if I was going to do anything. 917-889-8280, if I can get the number right here on Talking in Circles tonight. Um, if you want to join a conversation, we're talking about Casey Kane's new ride, Casey Kane's new crew chief. And Chase Elliott, a very interesting penalty this week, John. Uh, something that NASCAR didn't really find. It sounded like it was found on Reddit uh, that a piece of duct tape was on the rear end of Chase Elliott's number 24 car during the race at Chicago Land Speedway. Uh, they put it, like, on the spoiler, and uh, apparently it helps with downforce. Well, NASCAR came down and, and swung the hammer a little bit on Casey Kane. The team got an L1 penalty. 
Uh, Crew Chief Alan Gustafson was fined $25,000 and suspended for next weekend's event at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, Car Chief Joshua Kirk had also been suspended for the race at New Hampshire, and the team lost 15 driver and owner points. Um, A very interesting, you know, hammer that NASCAR put down here. We always talk about the crew chief, John. It's really not that big of a deal. They got privilege to all the information. They can hook up a laptop. They can see the exact numbers. They can see everything going on. Even from their home, they could probably see it all. Um, And he can call in and text and say, here's what I think you should do with the race car. He's probably in constant communication with Chase Elliott. He just can't be at the physical racetrack. So really, um, is it really that big of a deal? You know, not really. Right. So not even close to a big deal. I mean, points he drops from six to eight, right. but they're going to be 12, 12 advance after Dover. So he's still well within the cutoff line. Um, it's not that big a deal. I mean, Kenny Francis can be on the box. You have an experienced crew chief sitting there uh, able to get Casey. K- I'm sorry, Chase Elliott through to the next round, make it through New Hampshire. Um, it doesn't matter who's crew chief at New Hampshire. Chase Elliott isn't that great here. I mean, you could put, you could probably put Chad Knauss on the box and uh, Chase Elliott would struggle at New Hampshire. It's just not a track that he's comfortable with. Um, so the penalty's not that big a deal. I think it's interesting that they wound up seeing it on video and not saying something during the race about the duct tape being on there. Cause I never heard it. And I didn't hear anybody in the broadcast talk about it until I watched a little bit of the replay. And I saw that there after the penalty and it's like, Holy cow. Why didn't anybody do something during the race about this? And well, that's where the, to, they should have penalized him a lap during the race, made him come in, and he would have never finished second. There would have been no, there would have been a penalty on top of it instead of just letting him run and then say, "Oh yeah, duct tape wrong, bad." I mean, he should have had a twentieth place finish and then the penalty on top of it, and then he'd probably be about tenth. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And you think about you know the, the way that NASCAR polices everything else in this sport with downforce or trying to get a little bit extra speed out of the race car, whether it's a team that, you know, accidentally on purpose pulls out the side skirt when they're pulling off a tire on a race car or accidentally on purpose leans into the right side of the race car to put a little bit of a dent in it to help the aerodynamics of the race car or accidentally on purpose mess with the rear rear end housing like Joe Logano's team did at Richmond. And that really hurt Logano. He took a big time points penalty. Uh, His crew chief was suspended for, I think, two events. So it really hurt them. And to me, this is virtually the same thing what Chase Elliott did. And you're right, they didn't catch it on pit road. And it makes me wonder here, John, you know, as much as NASCAR rants and raves and and tells you that the policing that they do on pit road now with the cameras is a great thing. Part of me makes me wonder is if there was a, a NASCAR official in their pit box, like there used to be, where they would have sat there and kept the their eyes on that race car at all times. If somebody, if he would have noticed that, or that person would have noticed that and said, Hey, listen, 24 just, just did something to their race car or there's something on the back end of the 24 car that could manipulate the way they run. Let's look at it during the race and then penalize them. Like you said. So now without the uh, NASCAR official there, you have to wonder with the camera so far away how hard it was to see on TV. Cause you're right. Nobody mentioned it on TV. Nobody mentioned it on the radio. It took a picture of a screenshot on Reddit to really bring this to everybody's attention. So kind of scary when you think about it, because it makes you wonder NASCAR trying to save a little bit of money there by, by eliminating the, the pit road officials. 
If there was a pit road official, I think this is caught on Sunday. Well, and the thing is, you see the cameras catch the guys bump their knee into the right side as they go, as the jack man gets in, he leans his shoulder in when he goes to lift and put the jack under the car. You see the tire changers sort of make sure the tire hits the wheel well so it flares the fender out a little more so they have more downforce. They catch all that on video, but they don't catch it for something like this where it was really noticeable because it was a different color taped in the green spoiler. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it just makes you wonder uh, what else teams are trying, knowing that, you know, and, and listen, I heard stories in the 90s where um, I think it was Andy Petrie and, and people like that said, we used to do get away with stuff in the 90s because there was only a handful of, of you know, officials on pit road where we say, is he coming? Is he coming? Okay, no, he's way down looking at the other team. Let's do this to the race car. And <laughs> the the official wouldn't see it and they get away with it. Um, did they catch it in post race? I mean, I know second place is taken, uh, but maybe they could have taken it off during the pit stop. It's very interesting. You know, I think a lot of people want more more information on this. I do for sure because I just think I want NASCAR to explain it. When you sit there and you tell me that um, you know the, this pit road system, whatever you want to call it, is flawless, and they miss that, you go hmm. Is it really that flawless? I don't think it is. So um, it, in the playoffs, again, you could say, well, it doesn't really make a difference to this race car. It doesn't really make a difference. You know, it didn't add that much to, Casey, to Chase Elliott's race car. Well, it did because it wouldn't have done it if it did not add something. So it's same thing with these guys accidentally on purpose, knocking their rear ends into the side door, pulling at the side skirts, whatever it is. That little bit could be different. I'll tell you what, Chase Elliott has some speed on Sunday. You know, he was really fast. He was faster than we've seen him in, in previous weeks. And it makes you wonder maybe if that was if that tape had a big impact on that 24 car or not. I don't know how much it would have made a difference. It's sort of like you still can't tell how much of a difference Joey Logano's penalty in Richmond made, how much Denny Hamlin's penalty at Darlington made. The fact of it is, these are the rules. That's the line. I mean, I would even say, and one of the things you run into, you hear them keep saying, this is what's in the rule book, but we have this much tolerance. So everybody's already building the car into the tolerance. And the slightest bump on the track, the slightest hit of the wall can knock you out of the tolerance and your hose. That's when you say, Here's the, here is the line of death. There is no tolerance. So then they build it to the specifics that are there. When you inspect, there's a tolerance, but you don't publicize it, and you find out what's real and what's not instead of everybody building it outside of what is legal to begin with because we know there's a tolerance. It's the same thing of pit road speed is 55, but if you go 59.99, you're okay. If you go 60.0, you're hosed because they give you five mile an hour. Why don't you just say the speed limit's 60 because – Everybody's going 59.9 instead of 55. Be specific with your rules. It's like baseball. The mound is 60 feet, 6 inches. Not 60 feet, 8 inches or 60 feet even. 60 feet, 6 inches. Every mound is the same. The bases are 90 feet away. Build your rules and stick to your rules. Don't put a tolerance in there where they and tell them about it. The strike zones, your letters to the, letters to the knees. 
umpires are going to adjust it a little bit here and there, but it's not publicized what these, what these strike zone changes are. So stick to your rule book, do it right. Don't publicize any tolerance changes you have. And then you'll have people building the cars within the rules. And not trying to get away with stuff, you know, um, but at the end of the day, they're always pushing that envelope. But to me, this was more than pushing the envelope. This was more than a team trying, you know, to, to get their side screwed out. This is putting something completely illegal on the back end of a race car to get an advantage out of it. And I just thought 15 points for that in the playoffs, which you would think since it's the playoffs, you know, penalties would go up. And he got less than Logano's team did at Richmond. So adding a, a tape got you know, 15 points and a crew chief suspension for one race. I'm sorry. I, the way I look at it is they kind of got a slap on the wrist there. And I, and I know people are going to come on and say, well, it doesn't really mean that much Chase Elliott's car, but they're still doing it. And there's, there's a reason why they're doing it. They didn't just say, Oh, we're just going to try it out and see if it works. They knew it would give it an advantage and that big darn near got away with it. So to me in the playoffs and where everything is, is, you know, you win one race and you are advanced to the second round and he was in a position. Now, Martin Shirk Jr. had to feel covered, but he was a position away from winning that race where if Truex blew an engine or blew a tire or something, Chase Elliott goes to victory lane. Is that win encumbered? Does he not carry it with him? I mean, to me, they had to nip this in the bud. And I think Gustafson feels pretty bad about it, but he also says, hmm, we also almost got away with it. Maybe that'll get me trying something even a little bit more. I'm just surprised that it was that low for 15 points. I'm surprised it was 15 points in one race. That's the way I look at it. If there was a crack in the spoiler, then you're okay. Then you go to NASCAR and say, hey, there's a crack in the spoiler. When they pull it at the R&D center, oh, yeah, there was. You put the tape on it to make sure that the air didn't come out and mess you up. That's That would be legitimate. It's like putting tape on the front end whenever – there's a wreck or something. They bring the bear bond out there. They put the tape on, try to rebuild the fender the best they can within the five minute clock. If there was something wrong with the spoiler. Yeah, that's okay. You get away with it. It's legit. But doing this the way they did just to manipulate the car and try to make it better. The sad part is they manipulated the car, tried to make it better. And Truex still beat them by 10 seconds. Yep. And it makes you wonder, (laughs) if Kozlowski's t- tweets uh, had any substance, which is a completely different uh, argument for that day. But um, 917-982-80 here talking circles, Clinton Caldwell, John Harlow. We're going to New Hampshire this weekend, John. Latin New Hampshire, race two of the playoffs for the Cup Series. Um, last time we went there, it was, you know, back in July, July 16th. Denny Hamlin won uh, the FedEx office. Toyota, he beat Kyle Larson, Martin Truex Jr., Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick. What kind of racing do you think we're going to see here? You know, this is a place where, and I hate to term it this way, that Ryan Newman calls it the quote-unquote birthplace of track position. Um, a, a mile track that's flat. Uh, what do you think we're going to see kind of racing? I know they're bringing the, the sticky stuff, the VHP, the PJ1, whatever you want to call it. That will return like we saw at the last race we went to at New Hampshire, um, that's going to return. So it was a pretty good race last time. What do you think we're going to see this time at New Hampshire Motor Speedway? Um, it was a really good race last time. And the VHT, PJ1, whatever the hell you're calling it this week, made a difference at that track. When you're at a flat track, it's one groove. 
because there's no banking to help you out. If you go further around, it's going to take you longer. You don't have the stuff to get you momentum because you're going farther. You have the same banking wherever you are on that track. But the sticky stuff gives it a groove where you can actually have more grip in the turns if you run in that. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. I think you're same, you'll see the same uh, group of people running for the lead. You'll see Truex up there because one of the things he's going to want to do, he's going to want to keep as many people from winning as possible. He's going to hold on and um, scarf as many of the playoff points as possible and keep other people from winning. If he can win this race, he's going to. Denny Hamlin ran great in July. Kevin Harvick won this race last fall. And the difference between this July race and the fall race, it's going to be night and day. It was 90 degrees there when he ran in July. It might be 70 uh, this coming Sunday. So track conditions will be much different. Uh, Larson, I don't think, is going to run very well this time because in the summer it was hot and slick, and Larson's good on a hot and slick track. This is going to be a grippy track. It's not going to be hot. It's not going to be as slick. Um, I think it's going to be a battle between Harvick, Hamlin, Truex, and you may see Johnson make an appearance up toward the front this week. Yeah, and this is a race because um, we were here so recently in July. It feels like we were just in New Hampshire. It's about six, seven races ago, um, where you have to wonder if people were really looking at this racetrack in July and saying, we're going to test. We're going to test the crap out of it because we're coming here so so soon. Um, they're going to go into one race next year, so that will eliminate that testing when we go there next year. But you have to wonder if teams are trying something out, you know. And when you look at it, the, the finishing results from the last race, you know, you had three Jogos racing Toyotas in a top four. Kyle Busch isn't a great flat tracker. If there's one knock on Kyle Busch, he does not run good on the flat tracks. Pocono, I know he's won there. He won there. You know, he's, he's run very well there recently. He's won there in the past in New Hampshire. But those are his sort of Achilles heel if he's got one. Um, if there's something that's going to derail this season for him, it could be a flat track. New Hampshire is a very flat racetrack. It's a different racetrack than anywhere we go to. Um, so that's going to change the game up a little bit. I think I expect Denny Hamlin to be very strong. He's always strong when we come to New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Uh, he won here last time. Truex, it seems like it doesn't matter what racetrack we go to. We could go to a track, uh, you know, Texas World Speedway, which we haven't run in 40 years. And I think Martin Truex Jr. would be fast there. Um, Kevin Harvick's very good here. This is a racetrack I expect him to be strong. So you see a lot of the same players, a lot of the veterans who run very good here, who I expect to see up front. It's a very uh, interesting race on a fact that, like I said, it was it's so recent that we ran here that you could see some of these guys who are testing. Maybe Jimmy Johnson was trying something out. Chase Elliott's trying something out. We're going to know in this first practice session. I think if you see the Hendrick Motorsports up there, they're going to, when they try when they're good. When that 48 team is good, they're winning practices, they're winning polls, they're winning stages. They'll win the race. They'll do everything possible. So if they're good, they're going to be good off the truck. Um, and then from there, you know, there's only so many changes you can make because of the rules. So I think you're going to see, it's going to be very interesting to see Friday and Saturday here at New Hampshire before we get even to Sunday. Well, one of the things that I noticed last year when I was up at the race, um, whenever they had Saturday practice, because Johnson had um, speeding penalties in Chicago last year, they practice getting in and out of the pits. And New Hampshire's pit road is tight. Getting off of the turn in 
the pits is tight. So getting yourself set for pit road and not speeding is a key. And I think Johnson spent 20 minutes of the first practice on Saturday morning last year just working on pit stops. So you could see some of that where they're not out there going full bore lap by lap trying to make sure that they get the speeds up because I think Chad Knaus has a pretty good notebook for these places. I think they want to make sure that they dot all the I's and cross all the T's and get the little things out of the way that could cause some sort of issue. Oh, absolutely. And pit stops are a big thing. You know, we saw two teams before the uh, race at Chicagoland change their pit crews to, with teammates. Uh, Kyle Bush's team got the 19 pit crew from Daniel Suarez since he's not in the chase. And Trevor Bain's crew went to Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s team since they're not in the chase. Um, you know, when you look at the bottom four here, John, at from Chicago, uh, after Chicago, you got Ryan Newman, Casey Kane, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Kurt Busch, the bottom four. Of those bottom four, who do you expect to run really good and sort of get themselves back into the playoff run a little bit here before we get to Dover in the final race? Is it Newman, who's won here in the past, Casey Kane? You know, you made a great point about Darian Grubb. Uh, Stenhouse and Roush, I'll tell you this much. Roush, this is probably one of his worst racetracks. Jack Roush has never run great here at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, so that should be something to keep an eye on. Kurt Busch, who runs very good at this racetrack, but he's 13th in points. Do you think we'll see those bottom four change a little bit? Uh, after New Hampshire? I think we will. I mean, Jack Roush ran good here whenever it first started because Jeff Burton used to be the king of New Hampshire. But when Jeff Burton left Roush, every every bit of magic they had at New Hampshire went away. Um, Matt Kenseth never ran good at New Hampshire with Roush, but when he went to Gibbs, he was able to win races there. I think of the bottom four, I can, I'll pencil in two that could see changes. I don't see Austin doing Dylan doing well here, and he's tied with Kurt Busch, and Kurt Busch is good on the flat tracks. He's won at Martinsville. He's won here. Uh, Kurt Busch will probably move up further into points and pass Austin Dillon. I also think Ryan Newman will do really well here. Problem is, he is far enough back right now that it may not make a difference, but I think Ryan Newman will be respectable. He'll probably pull a top five, top ten out of New Hampshire. Uh, One of the things with this race that always makes it interesting is how short it is. It's 300 miles. They run this race in two and a half hours. Um, And you can't make a mistake at New Hampshire. If you make a mistake and you get a lap down, you may not ever get that lap back. And if you make a mistake under green, you're two laps down and you're just logging laps, hoping that there's a wreck where you can end up pulling four or five positions out of it because somebody else wrecked. This is the shortest race on the circuit the rest of the way. And, you're going to have to really work in a short period of time and minimize every mistake. You've got to, you've got to be locked. I mean, you can't be in there making a big swing at things at the pit stop because if you're going to be a lap down. Yeah. And I, I say this much, I think um, it's one of those racetracks that, you know, you're going to get opportunities to work in a race car, but like you said, it's short. And I think, it used to be if this race ran green, because with the way these cars are now, it would have ran green for a long time. Before these stages, uh, you kind of had what you had. You, you can make adjustments with, uh, you know, spring rubbers and bump stops adjustments and uh, wedge adjustments and everything you can, air pressure with these race cars on pit road. But with these natural brakes in now, that's easy to do. But 
prior to that, it was kind of a, a track where you looked at and said, well, you might only get one, so you better get it right. Uh, so I think the stages this year have really helped that race as far as if your car is off for a guy who, or a team that might struggle early, you know, you might sit there and go, okay, now we can at least work on the car where you didn't, might not get an opportunity to do that prior. 917-889-8280 here talking in circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. If you want to join on anything we're talking about tonight, uh, Casey Kane's new ride, Casey Kane's new crew chief, Chase Elliott's penalty, uh, anything about New Hampshire Motor Speedway, you can join the show here this weekend. Um, as NASCAR Cup Series and Truck Series goes to New Hampshire Motor Speedway, the Xfinity Series, John, goes to Kentucky. An interesting racetrack. Um, their first race of the playoffs, same thing with the Truck Series. An interesting racetrack at, at Kentucky. Uh, you know, newly repaved. Uh, they're going there for the second time. What kind of race do you think we're going to see at Kentucky this week? Um, and, you know, with the Cup guys home, uh, is there somebody who really sticks out there? On that race, you know, you got the veteran of Sadler, who's always very good. You got Allgaier, William Byron is, they think, a favorite to win this championship. Now at the playoffs start, these cup guys are out. Um, what do you think we're going to see? Who do you think is going to be the favorite at New Hampshire, at uh, Kentucky Speedway for the Xfinity Series this weekend? Well, Elliot Sadler, Justin Allgaier, and William Byron are definitely the favorites because they've run well competitively they've been up there with the cup guys whenever they've been down there they haven't been beating them except for byron but they've been up there the one who may be a surprise and a dark horse this weekend is cole custer that kid has run well this year he's continued to grow in the car he's listened to harvick with a couple races they've run together i mean tony stewart talked about him this week whenever he was doing the nbc sports thing saying this kid just sits and listens. He's an introvert. He picks up every bit of knowledge that somebody gives him. And then when he puts the helmet on, he puts it all to good use, and he battles. And I think William – I mean, um, Cole Custer could be somebody to watch out for this week at Kentucky, especially with the horsepower that the Fords have and not the cup guys driving the Toyotas. I mean, you look at the difference. When Kyle Busch is in one of those Joe Gibbs Toyotas – or Eric Jones in one of those Joe Gibbs Toyotas, or Denny Hamlin's in there compared to Matt Tift. It's a whole, it's night and day. And Kyle Busch isn't going to be in there, and Hamlin's not going to be in there, and Eric Jones isn't going to be in there. It's Matt Tift driving the Joe Gibbs car, and he's going to be the one that they hope for. I mean, he's never been the one to fight for the win. I mean, you look, Ryan Priest came in a Joe Gibbs car and won, and Tift was back there in 10th place. So I yeah. think it's going to be the junior motorsports guys and probably Cole Custer being someone to shake things up. And Priest is in this race this weekend in the 20 car. Uh, same thing with Kyle Benjamin, who finished second to Priest at Iowa. Um, these two kids are kids that I'm very curious to see how they run this weekend because of the simple fact that uh, they don't run very often. And if this Xfinity series, you know, what makes me frustrated about this Xfinity series is there's a lot of good young kids out there who can't get in it because they don't have a paycheck. Uh, with them. I think Benjamin fits into that category. I know Ryan Priest fits into that category. Um, so this is another opportunity for Priest, who won in Iowa, to get in, step into this opportunity in any playoff race, even though he's not running for playoff points and the win won't advance his team in anywhere, um, to shine, you know, where you got a little bit more of a spotlight on your race car. Uh, he's got hurricane relief on the car this weekend. Go out there and perform and see if you can't win, because that'll be a very, very good race for him. Another notch on the belt to maybe hopefully getting a, 
a little bit more secure of a ride next year instead of three races at Joe Gibbs Racing. I think, you know, Kyle Benjamin is the same way, where if he can sell himself a little bit, win this race, maybe Toyota looks at him and says, we want him in a truck next year. And then when Christopher Bell, which I think is moving the Xfinity Series next year, they would put Kyle Benjamin in that truck and see how he does. So something to prove for those two guys there at Joe Gibbs Racing, even though the Cup guys ain't in the field. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch see how those kids perform. you got Ben Kennedy in the two, Brian Scott making a return in the three car as well this weekend. Uh, the former Cup Series driver who ran for Richard Petty Motorsports. Um, he's run a handful of races for Richard Childress Racing this, this weekend. Also, Tyler Reddick, uh, he's in the 42 car. He's running full-time next year at Junior Motorsports. We didn't discuss, on, so discuss much on that over the weekend because of all the news we had. Um, but an interesting hire, John. Uh, Tyler Reddick, a, a guy who uh, ran for Brad Keselowski Racing, has run a partial schedule this year for Chip Ganassi, done a decent job, but he goes into junior motorsports next year full-time. So he'll be somebody to keep an eye on next year. Yeah, also uh, I think keep an eye on Sam Hornish Jr. driving the Penske car because the discount tire car is always good. I mean, and Penske has the one car. I think they will be fine with it. Um, so I look at it, you got to look at the one, the seven, and the nine first between Sadler Allgaier and Byron uh, Hornish is going to be a sleeper. Priest is going to be somebody who's going to be up front because he showed he can run really well in Joe Gibbs equipment. Um, Kyle Benjamin should be up there running well, but then again, they've run on short tracks. They haven't really, I mean, Kyle Benjamin ran in Atlanta, but Priest has only run Iowa and New Hampshire. So this is his first big shot at a mile and a half in Joe Gibbs horsepower and Joe Gibbs equipment. Um, Reddick will be okay in the 42, but I don't see him pushing for the win. But I see Hornish and Cole Custer being somebody to watch as sleepers in this race. Absolutely. I think uh, Hornish is a driver who's got some talent. He's won Indy 500s before. Um, you know, hasn't had a great opportunity in Cup. You know, nearly won a championship in Xfinity when he ran for Penske before his sponsorship went away. So he's a, he's a factor in that series for sure. Real quick, uh, the last minute here, we'll talk about the truck series here. Um, you know, a decent field of trucks. You know, I think Johnny Sauter is a guy definitely keep an eye on at New Hampshire. It's a shorter racetrack, fits his style very well. Christopher Bell as well. Um, Chase Briscoe, we talked, we talked about the truck series on the last show. And how do you think these guys are going to do in the playoffs? But um, is there somebody who really sticks out? I mean, that I didn't mention that maybe could win at New Hampshire this weekend and get them into the second round of the playoffs. I think it's going to be uh, Christopher Bell winning this race easily. I mean, William Byron put the field to sleep last year, and the only one who was close to him was Christopher Bell. And that Kyle Busch Motorsports truck has been on a rail this year. I think he's the one to watch for. Sauter and Crafton, just because they've got the uh, Wiley veteran experience who have a shot at it. But, I mean, I think everybody's chasing Christopher Bell this weekend. Yeah, Eric Phillips and that team. Uh, Eric Phillips does a great job on that four-car, four-truck, I should say. Um, and it really is an asset to Toyota and those guys because they get to run around in top-notch equipment and win some races. Eric Phillips has been a good crew chief in the truck series for a long, long time. And uh, it's been an interesting race there, too, because you got a lot of young kids who are trying to prove themselves and a couple of veterans who are trying to uh, put those youngsters and say, you know what, not so fast, young, young sir, uh, we're fast. I'm curious to see what Sauter does. Um, we'll be back here next after Sunday's race. At New Hampshire Motor Speedway, we'll be breaking that all down here on Talking Circles, discussing the winner, discussing the playoffs, who we think will make it to the next round. 
after race two of the playoffs. Good night, everybody, and thank you for listening and talking, sir. Thank <laughs> you.